Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. Amy Wright here with Diddy TV, and we couldn't be more excited to have Scott Sherrard in the studio today. That was an incredible set. Well, really thank fun. You. I appreciate that. And you, you've been at this for a while. I mean, with, and worked with some incredible artists. Um, you're originally from the Midwest and moved to New York and via, you know, via New York down to Nashville. Is that right? Or? Uh, well, I was born in uh, Ann Arbor, Michigan, and I was raised in uh, Dearborn and ended up in Pennsylvania, high school in Milwaukee. So uh, I'm kind of a Rust Belt gypsy, if you will. <laughs> <laughs> it's all over the Midwest. Um, and then right out of high school, I moved to New York City. I've been there about 20 years. So uh, how, how did being in New York City sort of launch your career, um, change your music, et cetera? Because I know that you moved there, and that was kind of a, um, an awakening in your, in your musical career. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, moving to New York City at, at any time <laughs> is, uh, is a very difficult and uh, revelatory experience. Uh, with a lot of positives and negatives, of course, in the extreme. Um, and it was no exception for me. I moved there in, uh, I guess it was 97, summer of 97, with my buddy Sean Dixon. We had a band at the, at the time in Milwaukee called the Chesterfields. We moved there together um, into a, you know, East Village rent-controlled apartment, which is, you know, sort of something you never find now. Um, then it was even pretty rare. And, uh, you know, I went from, you know, as a teenager, even in high school, touring and playing gigs every night and making a living. And I had my own apartment in Milwaukee and my own car paid off and stuff before I left to uh, literally like work in a temp job just to make ends meet for a year or I two. I can only imagine New York's pretty expensive yeah, to live there. Yeah, it was crazy. It was crazy. But, you know, it really kicked my butt. And the, the thing that New York, it kind of, it turns everybody who's there into sort of a Swiss army knife. You know, you have to, you have to be able to play every genre of music well there if you want to survive as a you know as a writer or a musician or you know wh whatever it is um, it requires a lot of skills so um, I definitely sharpened up my whole toolkit by living there just out of necessity. Well and you worked with some really great mentors and I was reading a little bit about you and um, I read where, somewhere that uh, you were given the advice that you need to really sharpen every single skill as an artist. Not, it's not just about guitar playing. It's, it's your songwriting. It's everything, your ability yeah. to arrange. Yeah, well, I mean, that was something that was hammered into me from, from an early age. And I've always had a pretty eclectic uh, taste in music. You know, it was always even in, I remember even in high school, you know, I'd be listening to just heavily digesting everything from Miles Davis to Magic Sam to Tom Waits. I mean, it was all on the table for me. Um, and uh, one of the experiences I think, I think you're, you're driving at was, um, 
I was talking about it earlier today in the van actually was uh, when I met with Ahmed Erdogan because he, he heard me, heard my band's demo, saw me playing a club called Terra Blues on Bleecker Street uh, where he used to hang out all the time. And this was definitely the old days. This was like uh, 99, 2000. Hey, and, I was there, by the way. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. <laughs> so, yeah. All right. So you, you know the deal. Yeah. So, um, and, you know, he, he basically, you know, gave me a really, uh, really shoved me into the deep end, you know, in terms of, you know, hey, look, you know, if this was the 60s or 70s, I would sign you right now. But the way things are going, you know, the music business is, is going to be gone. So you don't even want to participate in this. So really the thing to do is to become, like you were saying, a performer, writer, arranger, player, um, and get all those skills up to the highest caliber possible. And I would, I would add uh, educator now as well, because, you know, the style of music I play, the American roots styles that I love, blues, soul, rock and roll, um, there it's rapidly becoming jazz. I'm, I mean, in terms of, um, I'm just watching what's happening with sort of the middle class musician, you know, your, yeah. your basic pit, you know, <laughs> pit classical musician is something that's starting to happen in rock in terms of the education where you've seen that in classical and then it happened in jazz and now it's happening in this where education becomes a uh, sort of a pillar of uh, supporting the living arts, you know. And it, well, it's interesting how things have come full circle from the 1950s even where artists had to tour in order to really make a living. And then there was the golden age, I call it, of records where um, you could create a record and then maybe at some point tour, but there was a lot of um, revenue from record sales. And then in 2000, everything changed again. And the whole music business and, and musician and the world of musician has had to adapt to a new playing field um, that, the, you know, that artists are touring again, more so than they did during that period. Um, but they're finding all sorts of other ways, like you're describing, like the education and other ways of... Um, connecting with fans and, and, and making money and making a living as a musician. Yeah. And we don't, we only have our own industry to blame for what happened to music because, and that's not necessarily the fault of the artists. Although, you know, I guess we could unionize or we could try to <laughs> come up against the major labels back in 2000, 2001, mm -hmm. you know, I was only 22, 23 years old. So I was just trying to, trying to hustle. But, you know, a lot of what happened was, is, uh, you know, artists and labels, you know, started suing kids for streaming music instead of building Netflix. Right. You know, and what you've seen happen is now in, uh, in the visual arts of, of television and movies, you have, uh, you know, Netflix and HBO and Showtime and all these people producing these really incredible creative series that have no rules. It's like the 70s for making records in terms of those services. And music never got that because first they missed the boat and then they sold us all down the river with their back you know backroom spotify deals so it's been like one sort of tragedy after another ever since the late 90s up till now you know and uh i think the 50s is a really good example that's actually something i've mentioned recently a lot is we're back to the 1950s because this is exactly sam phillips mm -hmm. you know right here you know all mm -hmm. these great studios that started here but sam phillips you know building a studio with a loan from his parents you know uh, barry gordy doing the same thing mm -hmm. in motown um you know, that's it's it's kind of back to like uh, a family business approach to get anything started. Well, you know, Diddy TV, one of the things that uh, sort of struck us is how non-artist focused a lot of things were. So that's always been where we focus is on the artists and their music and the distribution of that music and providing a voice for independent artists, which is really hard to find. Um, so we completely understand exactly what you're talking about. Um, 
And so in your career, though, um, kind of moving forward from 2000, you um, hooked up with Greg Allman and worked with him for 10 years, really, right, in his band? Yeah, it was kind of the last decade or so, a little bit less. Um, it was about nine and a half years. Um, I joined his band in uh, <clears throat> the, the summer of 2008 is when I got the job. We did our first tour uh, in the late fall, shortly thereafter, started rehearsing and touring. How did that happen? How did you get hooked up with him? My buddy Jay Collins, um, great sax player and, a, and an old friend of mine from New York, um, was playing in the band, and he had me come down to uh, Allman Brothers show in Camden, New Jersey, and I sat in, and, and uh, Greg and I just really hit it off, man. And uh, I started out as his guitar player, uh, as a sideman, I guess they say. Um, but we got, it took us a couple years, but we started to get real deep, and, and um I was lucky enough that he asked to hear my records, and when he heard my records, I already had a few of my own records at that point. Um, I laid them on him, and uh, he told me he really loved them, and he'd learned some songs already off my records, and uh, one of them, Love Like Kerosene, worked its way into the Greg Allman band set, and then he was like, hey, let's write some tunes, and then we started writing together, and then he says, hey, I want to remake the band, I want to do a nine-piece band, I'm leaving the Allman Brothers, you know, we're going to break up the Allman Brothers, and I want to really focus on this. And then I helped him build that band. And, of course, we did two records, Back to Making Live and Southern Blood, uh, with me as the music director. Um, Southern Blood was his last album. Yeah, that yeah. was our last album. Yeah, it was the, well, there's the, the, we did Back to Making first. I think it was in 2014. And that was the first, my first day on the job as a music director was that, the recording of that record. And then uh, we recorded Southern Blood in uh, spring of 2016, I think it was. And you have a couple of songs. Um, one, the the uh, the one you just mentioned, um, Love and, Like Kerosene. Yes, yeah. and then there's another song also on that album that you yeah. co-wrote with Greg, correct? Yeah, My Only True Friend. Right. Yeah, and it's a then, beautiful song. Oh, thank you. And uh, we worked real hard on that one. Um, and I was really I was really pleased with how it came out. Uh, it took us a couple of years to get it together. Um, and there was another song we'd finished writing. It was actually the first song we finished writing together was the song Everything a Good Man Needs, which is on my, my new record that just came out, Saving Grace. Um, and I was lucky enough that Taj Mahal heard a demo of Greg and I doing it, and he, uh, he loved the tune. He called me up, and he's like, I want to sing it. And I said, well, you can have it, man. And he's like, no, I want to sing it on your record. So it's the only song I've never sung on my own record, and I wanted to have Taj as a tribute to Greg because at this point, I mean, Taj is, would have been, you know, Greg's, probably favorite living singer at this point you know Bobby Bland is gone B.B. King's gone Little Milton's gone I mean Muddy obviously Howlin' Wolf so Taj is kind of all that's left in terms of the guys that Greg considered his his top 10 you know it's sort of a, a little fun fact you were actually born um, on the same day that was it Albert that's Freddie King Freddie King Freddie yeah. King December 28th 1976 but he's one of your yeah. heroes and he's probably you know in terms of like his his all around skill set as a guitarist and vocalist, I would say he's he's def it's like him and Jimi Hendrix are like mm -hmm. you know, Jimmy is kinda my he's my guiding star every day. I mean, to me it's like there's none better than Jimmy just because he encompassed everything you could do. Producer, writer, arranger, you know, the way he used the way he used the sound of his guitar and effects and he was a real painter with everything he did. You know, he's a real conceptualist. So, someone like Freddie King is like a was just like a just a volcano of soul and just a master craftsman. You know, and um, I definitely hold him. You know, in in the highest regard. But but you know, for me, the one who gets me back on the stage every day to try again is Jimmy for sure. 
Yeah, well, that's that's a good one to uh, have as have, hold up that high. I mean, he's he's obviously incredible. It's amazing just to see uh, film film of him. He was in another world when he was playing guitar. It was just amazing. I think he was from another world. Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> Probably so, and he decided to go back. Yeah. Um, so Saving Grace, Saving Grace is, is your latest uh, project, yeah. and uh, where did you record that? Well, uh, we recorded half of it in uh, Muscle Shoals at Fame Studios, and uh, that, that came about because uh, when I did Greg Allman's Southern Blood record there, um, struck up a friendship with Rodney Hall and all the people there. We spent a, a little over a week there and, and just loved the vibe, obviously. I mean, so many classic records were cut there. It's like a time capsule when you walk in. And it is, yeah. Yeah, it's really well preserved. And then uh, a couple of years before that, I had met David Hood, Spooner Oldham, and mm -hmm. Jimmy Johnson, the Swampers mm -hmm. uh, rhythm section. Of course, those guys played on, you know, Wilson Pickett and, you know, Staple Singers, I'll Take You There and all that stuff. And, and many, 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 many other records. And I, I did an event with them in New York uh, to celebrate uh, the release of a documentary mm -hmm. about them. So I had met them a couple years before, then we went down and I was having lunch with them and you know, hanging actually in the studio. And I said, well, I gotta make a record here. But at the same time, I'd been playing with Steve Potts from Memphis, um, sure. playing drums in the Greg Allman band. The whole time I was in the Greg Allman band, we were always talking about how much I loved stacks and high records and particularly that you know he had this long a lifelong relationship with the hodges brothers mm -hmm. um and uh i was always telling him man it's my dream to meet those guys let alone play with them and then uh around that same time that we did southern blood i i came to an event at the stacks museum and uh howard grimes was playing drums and i couldn't believe the sound coming off the stage i i i almost started crying i just lost my mind at this at the, the sound that this man was producing from the drums i mean it was those records right in front of me you know you spend all these years telling guys can you play a little bit like this you, know, you buy this equipment you know you put the mics in a certain place no it's it's the human you know it's the individual and you're up there up close like that yeah, it's amazing right next it? to him right. in that little space mm -hmm. you know and when I had that experience, I said, you know what? I played with the Swampers. I recorded it fame. I'm standing in front of Howard. These guys are in their 70s. Time marches on. You know, I know Greg is terminally ill at this mm -hmm. point. I'm just going, man, I, I got to make a record with these guys while they still sound brilliant and, and vital. Because they do. I mean, right now, as we sit here, they still do. God bless them. And effortless. Absolutely. When you see them play, you think... This is something that's really difficult, and they you look up, and it is really difficult, yet they, it's effortless to them. Well, their, their era was all about, you know, they come from a time when the onus was on having your sound. Mm -hmm. It wasn't about sounding like someone else. It was about, what do you do? And it was about being a specialist. Um, and they still embody that, all of them, the way they play. So back to your question. So half of it, I, so I had these two revelations. I said, so half the record will do in Muscle Shoals. And half the record we'll do in Memphis at Electrophonic with my buddy Scott Bomar, who I'd met through POTS. And at this point, we also had Mark Franklin and Art Edmiston in the Greg Allman mm -hmm. band. So we had a lot of Memphians sure. that we were hanging with. And I knew I wanted Mark and Art to, you know, I wanted Mark to do the arrangements and Mark and Art to play on the record. So um, they actually did all the horns on the record. They overdubbed them later here in Memphis. Um, so that, that was the record, Saving Graces, uh, a few songs in uh, Muscle Shoals, a few songs in Memphis, and then the song Everything a Good Man Needs with Taj, we had to do that in New York City because it was the week of the Grammys, and um, Greg and I were nominated for two Grammys 
uh, for the song you mentioned, My Only True Friend, and the album Southern Blood uh, with the Greg Allman Band. Uh, and Taj was in town because he was also nominated in the blues category. And uh, I hit him up. I said, hey, let's book a studio. And uh, the legendary uh, Bernard Purdy was also in town. Dr great session drummer, again, played on thousands of records. So we called Bernard. He wanted to come play with us. So we got Bernard to play drums on that song. So for me, the whole record, like, you know, I mean, it's so many of my favorite musicians of all time. Taj, Bernard, High Rhythm, The Swampers. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of people jealous out there just hearing about this process and the people you worked with. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Yeah, well, I, again, you know, the whole idea was these, these cats are all in their 70s. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, you know, the, the, it's and not going to be around forever. No, and I think the album is also, a, it's a companion record to Southern Blood as well because it was cut the same year. You know, my record was cut in December of 2016. Um, in December 2016, I knew that Greg was not going to perform mm -hmm. again. I was one of the few people who did. And when I was coming up to the mic, making the record and singing, I was thinking about the passage of time. Uh, and, and this record is kind of, um, it's an homage in some ways uh, to work with those guys. Obviously, the material is, is my original material. So it's new material. Mm -hmm. But... The, the thing was for me is I really wanted to pay tribute um, to these guys because, you know, I was raised in an environment where since I was a teenager, I've been playing guys with guys who were 20, 30, 40 years older than me. You know, when I was a kid, Hubert Sumlin, Pine Top Perkins, Buddy Miles, you know, there was a period where for a couple of years they were our local bar band guys, you know, would hang out at the bars. You know, they go tour Europe. And, but then, you know, in America in the 90s, no one knew who these guys were. Isn't that you know? amazing? Yeah, so that's it's been my whole life has been kind of mm -hmm. learning from these cats and trying to pay homage to them. So, you know, this is my fifth solo album, and uh, I needed to find a way in my life. It was such a, it was it was a, such a labor of love working with Greg. It was being in a band with him. It wasn't a job. It was a mission, and to transition from that mission into my own, I felt like I had to build a bridge uh, between the generations and. Uh, that's really where, you know, the inclusion of the song that Greg and I wrote uh, that he was too ill to sing, Everything a Good Man Needs, really capped it for me. That mm -hmm. was why I decided to get that on there as well, because to me it was like the final tip of the hat to, to the ultimate mentor that I had, you know. Yes. And um, so what would you like people to take away from this album? It, is, there, is there any sort of theme to the, the album, uh, you know, uh, where, where were you coming from when you wrote the songs? Well, you know, what's interesting about this record is I had, I had a big group of songs. Mm -hmm. I had a couple dozen songs. And as I was getting ready and we were confirming the Swampers and mm -hmm. the High Rhythm, I started to say, wait a second, I've got four solo albums. I've got a couple songs that I wrote like for these guys, right? right. Where I was trying to get that sound using other bands or trying mm -hmm. to do it myself. And uh, no knock on those other musicians. It's all the musicians I've worked with on my records are brilliant and, and very individual sounding in the same mm -hmm. way. But there were specific songs where I felt like maybe I should try that again. So mm -hmm. there were four tunes that I brought in from my previous few records uh, and rearranged and kind of brushed up and prepared for these guys. And then uh, there was the co-write with Greg, mm -hmm. which, of course, was a, a newer piece of material. There's uh, one cover song by a, a great English singer-songwriter named Terry Reed that I did, a song called Faith to Arise. And then the rest were sort of from the new batch. So, um, you know, it was a conscious decision 
another conscious decision on this record to kind of reckon with the past, you know, because there's a song on the record called She Can't Wait. I wrote that song 20 years ago. But I wrote it because of Bobby Womack at Muscle Shoals and specifically how David Hood and Spooner and those guys played on those records. That's just an example of one. And then there's a couple others that were definitely directly influenced by uh, Al Green and Otis Clay and the high rhythm sound. Um, so that bridge you're talking about really influenced the song selection oh, on yeah. this particular CD. Absolutely, it did, yeah. And knowing who you're going to be playing with. Yeah, I had to curate that. my material mm -hmm. a little bit. So, I just want to tell you, it was just an amazing set. And um, I would encourage anyone, everyone, to go out and get uh, Saving Grace and to come and see you live because it's an amazing, amazing performance. Oh, thank you so much. We wish you the best of luck. Thank you for having us. Come back again. We'll jam here anytime you'll have us. <laughs> awesome. All right. Thank you. 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. 92% because of a bike? Not just bikes. We also make treadmills and rowers. Oh, let me guess, for elite athletes only, right? Nope. It doesn't matter if you're an avid exerciser or new to working out. Peloton can help you achieve your fitness goals. 92% stick with it. So can you. Try Peloton bikes, tread or row, risk-free with a 30-day home trial. New members only. Not available in remote locations. See additional terms at onepeloton.com slash home dash trial. With one of the best savings rates in America, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than choosing Slash to be in your band. Next up for lead guitar. You're in. Cool. <laughs> yep, even easier than that. And with no fees or minimums on checking and savings accounts, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank for details. Capital One and a member FDIC. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.